the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Father John Zolsdorf with another podcast. We welcome as our guest today, John Henry Newman, now venerable, but soon to be beatified, blessed John Henry Newman, who died in 1890. We will hear texts for the liturgical memorial for blessed John Henry, the collect and the reading for his office of readings. I found recently on the Italian website Oratoriani that the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments had approved liturgical texts for the liturgical memorial of soon-to-be Blessed John Henry Newman. As you know, uh, John Henry Newman, Cardinal Newman, will be beatified uh, by the Holy Father uh, during his upcoming uh, apostolic visit to England. There will be a great celebration. Now, the Holy Father doesn't usually do the beatifications himself uh, these days. He usually delegates it. But uh, the Holy Father has been so deeply influenced by John Henry Newman during his whole life, ever since he read his writings as a seminarian, that um, uh, the Holy Father will do it himself and not delegate it. Uh, and I think probably this also makes a statement about how important a figure and thinker John Henry Newman is for the church in our modern time. In any event, uh, when there is a beatification, uh, then certain groups, not the whole church, but certain groups are able to celebrate his, his memorial or her memorial uh, at the altar and in the reading of the divine office. Now, at first, the memorial for John Henry Newman will only be usable by the Oratorians themselves. The Oratorians, of course, uh, were the group that John Henry Newman joined. He was a member of the Oratory in Birmingham in England. The Oratorians, of course, were founded by the great Roman saint of the 16th century, St. Philip Neri. Uh, Philip Neri, by the way, is co-patron of Rome, along with St. Peter. That's a little piece of information you might not know. But uh, so for at first, John Henry Newman's memorial will be used only by the Oratorians. And later on, local churches or other groups would have to request the use of the memorial uh, from the Holy See. And it wouldn't be until uh, Newman is canonized that his feast day would be available for the whole church, for everyone, everywhere. Now, uh, so far, from what I understand, the feast day for John Henry Newman could be perhaps fixed as the 9th of October, which was the day in 1845 when Newman was brought into greater light when he was received into Holy Catholic Church at Littlemore. And for the memorial, for the rest of the office and mass, the common of pastors will be used. So in the developing of liturgical texts, there has to be, of course, a collect, which is sometimes uh, perhaps a little inaccurately called an opening prayer. 
Um, it's also the prayer that's used in at the end of the divine office, but so we should probably just call it a collect. And readings for the office of read a reading, a second reading for the office of readings had to be developed in the newer form of the office called the Liturgy of the Hours, the Liturgia Orarum. So I propose uh, to uh, look at uh, the collect with you a little bit, and then we'll hear uh, the reading that was chosen for the second reading of the Office of Readings for blessed, soon-to-be-blessed, John Henry Newman. Uh, first of all, let's hear the collect. Let's hear it in Latin, just to get the Latin into our ears. Even though this is a modern saint, and or a modern blessed, rather, and, uh, of course, everything in the English language, nevertheless, because uh, holy churches liturgy is in Latin. We have to have Latin texts, even for the brand new saints and blesseds. So, here's the collect. Deus, qui beatum Ioannem Enricum presbyterum, lumen benignum tuum sequentem, pacem in ecclesia tua invenire contulisti, concede propitius ut, eus intercessione et exemplo, ex umbris et imaginibus in plenitudinem veritatis tue perducamur. There's a nice little clausula there at the end, veritatis tue perducamur, a nice little rhythm. Uh, very often our uh, Latin prayers will have these rhythms or clausulae, the little ending, rhythmic endings, metric endings that were so favored by the ancient Roman rhetoricians. Now, uh, just a, a word uh, or two in here might be interesting, uh, you know, pay attention to. An imago is, as you might guess, an image or a copy, but it also can have a little bit more uh, kind of a, uh, a vague idea like likeness or semblance, echo, appearance, shade, echo. Echo, I remember in a poem of Horace, when Horace is talking about the return of Mycenaeus after long illness to public view in the theater of Pompey, a great shout went up from the people that echoed uh, across the river off of the Vatican Hill and back to them in the, uh, in the theater of, of Pompey. And that echo, the echo that Horace talks about is, a, is an imago. So here's our word. So it's, a, it's a, an appearance, a shade or a shadow, a copy. Now let's hear an English version. Um, we'll hear the version uh, that um, the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments uh, has approved. No doubt it was developed by the people who drove forward the cause of uh, Blessed John Henry. And it has received approval of the Holy See. And here is the translation of the Latin. O God, who bestowed on the priest, blessed John Henry Newman, the grace to follow your kindly light and find peace in your church, graciously grant that through his intercession and example we may be led out of shadows and images into the fullness of your truth. So there is the collect in the official English form that will be used in the Mass and also in uh, the office that will be read. 
Now, you might have noticed in that uh, English version, and the Latin too, if you were uh, alert, paying attention, know a little Latin, you would notice right away the reference to a poem written by John Henry Newman when he was a young priest in 1833 that was later rendered into a popular hymn, a hymn called Lead Kindly Light. And you might know the story of the writing of this poem. Uh, when uh, Newman, young man, young priest, was traveling in Italy, he fell very ill, and he had a time of great emotional and spiritual discouragement. Um, when a nurse once asked him what was troubling him, he responded in, in frustration and tears, I have work to do in England. And oh my, did he have work to do in England. Eventually, he did uh, get home. He took passage on a boat, but on the way home, they were constrained to uh, to heave to because there was a terrible thick fog and they were afraid to move uh, forward because of danger from cliffs. And so they were trapped, trapped in the fog in his frustration and illness, trying to get home, trying to get back to England where he knew he had something that he had to do. And so this a young fellow on the 16th of June in 1833, trapped at sea in the fog, wrote a poem called The Pillar of the Cloud. And we should hear this poem, which became a popular hymn, Lead, Kindly Light. And instead of reading it for you myself, I've asked for a guest reader to do the honors, uh, Father Timothy Finnegan, my good friend, a priest in England, uh, the great pastor, parish priest of uh, Blackfen in the Archdiocese of Southwark. Um, he has, of course, the wonderful blog, The Hermeneutic of Continuity. Let's hear Father Timothy Finnegan reading John Henry Newman's The Pillar of the Cloud. Lead, kindly light, amid the encircling gloom, lead thou me on. The night is dark, and I am far from home, lead thou me on. Keep thou my feet, I do not ask to see the distant scene, one step enough for me. I was not ever thus, nor prayed that thou shouldst lead me on. I love to choose and see my path, but now, lead thou me on. I love the garish day. In spite of fears, pride ruled my will. Remember not past years. So long thy power hath blessed me, sure it still will lead me on. O moor and fen, O crag and torrent, till the night is gone. And with the morn, those angel faces smile, which I have loved long since, and lost a while. That was Father Finnegan reading Newman's The Pillar of the Cloud. And, of course, the reference, uh, pillar and cloud, of course, are biblical images. Um, as the people of Israel were being led out of their darkest time, God was kindly, graciously leading them out of bondage into freedom. 
he sent uh, before them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And this is, of course, what, uh, what uh, Newman is using as the central image of his poem, The Pillar of the Cloud. Well, now that we've heard The Pillar of the Cloud lead kindly light, and you will immediately recognize and make a connection with uh, that poem whenever you might have occasion to hear this collect or uh, read it in the future. Uh, let's go back and hear the collect in English again, this time not in uh, the official translation from the Congregation for Divine Worship, uh, but rather my own uh, literal version, just to give a little different twist to it. O oh God, who granted blessed John Henry, a priest following your kindly light, to find peace in your church, graciously vouchsafe by his intercession and example, that we may be drawn from shadows and shades into the fullness of your truth. Now, that phrase uh, about shadows and shades and so forth needs a little more examination. In the Latin... Uh, we have ex umbris et imaginibus in plenitudinem veritatis tue per ducamur. Now that phrase, that phrase, ex umbris et imaginibus in plenitudinem veritatis, is very important. Uh, the lumen benignum, kindly light, refers to an important uh, moment marking Newman's life, which is, of course, verified in the famous poem, and they worked it into the collect. Now, at the end of the collect, that phrase, ex umbris et imaginibus in viditatem, is another important marker for Newman. This is the epitaph Newman chose for his own grave marker. Now, we can render this phrase, ex umbris et imaginibus in viditatem, in different ways. Uh, for example, we can say, well, here are just some examples. From shadows and shades into truth, from out of shadows and reflections into truth, from shadows and phantasms into truth, from illusions and approximations into reality. In all of these different uh, renderings, we hear uh, a platonic ring now, you might think back to high school or college when you read your Plato and putting on your your platonic hat and firing up your memory. You might remember his metaphor of the cave, how we are in this world of appearances. And uh, beyond this world of appearances, there's a, a whole realm of forms, the, the far more real things. And so here we are in our platonic cave, and we are staring at the back of the cave where shadows flicker with distant approximations of the reality of the light, the real thing outside the cave. And so what happens is that we are to turn around and then when we see something better outside the cave, then we grope our way out away from, you know, farther away from the back of the cave where it's flickering with approximations. Aided by the light flickering in from outside the cave, we strive to find the reality, the forms, and so forth. And this is the, 
This is a very Platonic paradigm, but it's also a very Christian paradigm. All the early fathers of the church were very steeped in Platonism and Neoplatonism. And at the core of this Platonic paradigm is the idea of going forth from that which is the most real, and then at a certain point, a turning about, a stopping and a turning about, and then a looking back toward that which is more real, and then a return to it. So we have, we might uh, talk about, in Latin, the terms might be exitus, right? An exit out of, conversio, turning about, and then reditus, the returning. So this is a paradigm, a Platonic paradigm, that we find in many of the ancient churches' prayers in Latin. And we've found that over the years in the what does the prayer really say columns and uh, things that I've written for the paper and also for uh, things I put on the blog. We find this pattern of exitus conversio and reditus, the going out, the turning around, and the going back. Now, of course, the fathers of the church were steeped in these you know, neoplatonic categories and paradigms, and Newman was steeped in the fathers uh, who led him, uh, helped lead him kind, by their kindly light into the Catholic church. This pattern of departure, returning, uh, is found uh, in the experience I think we have at Holy Mass uh, at a certain point, there's a turning point in our participation in Holy Mass, in which we, uh, which we, uh, you know, make most manifest in its most perfect form in that reception of Holy Communion in the state of grace. For example, it's also found in the experience, of course, of the penitent, the one who goes away from God, turns around, and then returns to God. So, but for Newman. I think we can also say that this phrase that he meant for his grave marker uh, doesn't have only that, you know, that kind of like platonic overtone and Christianized platonic overtone, this idea of, you know, finding deeper truth and a deeper, you know, love of God. I think it also probably means that he went from the Church of England, from the Anglo-Catholic into the Roman Catholic Church. So ex umbris et imaginibus in veditatem. Maybe, maybe we can render this as from the Church of England and from the Anglo-Catholic to the Roman Catholic Church. You know, going from the approximations into a greater reality, a greater light. So he's led kindly by a greater light out of shadows and approximations into the truth. You know, this is a pattern for all of our lives. Uh, in this life, we grope our way along by faith. Um, we have to have faith uh, in about many things in this life because we don't have absolute, you know, perfect knowledge of it yet. One day we shall in heaven where there won't be any faith. But now what we do is we, we grope our way along. We peer toward the mystery of God, perfectly transcend, absolutely transcendent, who gives us little hints here and there. He gives us dark glasses to peer through. Uh, he helps us to get a glimpse of him like Moses 
looking at God's back as he passed, as he gazed, as he glimpsed, peeped, peered through the crack in the rock, like the lover in the Song of Songs, longing to catch a glimpse of our lover on the other side in the garden. We maybe peer through a chink in the garden wall. Um, we are led around in life, um, sometimes uh, dramatically, sometimes subtly, uh, sometimes by these pillars of cloud or pillars of fire, uh, to which uh, Newman referred in his own poem, in his own difficult moment in his spiritual journey. God draws us along through many different signs. Some of them are very subtle. Some of them are not so subtle. Some of them are liturgical. Some of them are merely living in daily life. But we should all be conscious of the fact of this journey, this constant turning about that we have to have, this constant conversion in our lives and a reorienting ourselves back to God when we have left him. And we who belong to the Catholic Church have so many advantages, so many more advantages than other Christians or people of other religions or whatever. What a great gift it is. What a great gift it is to be a Catholic and to have the help of authority, which helps our wounded intellect, to have the authority of Christ himself teaching us through Holy Catholic Church. Another part of the official liturgical text for the memorial of blessed John Henry Newman will be the second reading of the Office of Readings in the Liturgy of the Hours, uh, used in conjunction with the Common of Pastors. Now this reading that they chose is taken from the famous work of Newman called Apologia Pro Vita Sua, which in English is a defense of one's own life. Newman wrote this work in 1864 when uh, he uh, himself personally and some Catholic doctrines were under attack. Now let's hear the excerpt chosen for the second reading in Newman's office. We can have a touch of Latin uh, before and after just to remind ourselves that the Latin church's liturgy is in Latin and that the fathers of the Second Vatican Council said that clerics and religious were to fulfill their obligation of the office in the Latin language unless they had permission to use the vernacular. Let's just remind ourselves of that for a moment. But this uh, we are about to hear is from chapter 5 of the Apologia Pro Vita Sua by John Henry Newman. The subtitle is Position of My Mind Since 1845. Now there are a few things that you might want to tune your ear for as you listen. Um, listen, for example, to how Newman deals with the problem that many doctrines that we as Catholics are called upon to believe uh, can be very hard but just because they are hard, that doesn't mean that we have to have a perfect or a complete explanation 
of the things we find that are hard. In fact, sometimes it's just impossible to explain certain things, but we believe them anyway. And he utters a phrase which I think is useful for every modern Catholic to know. Quote, 10,000 difficulties do not make one doubt. He says that doubt and difficulty are not like commensurate with each other. They are incommensurate. Listen for that part. Newman believes that even the hard things uh, can be believed and must be believed and will be believed because the church believes them and teaches them. And as a son of the church, um, he is believing as uh, Holy Mother Church teaches. Also listen to how he explains that over time, uh, Catholic inquiry and doctrine took certain shapes and developed its language, did so over time. Uh, Great figures of the past developed our questions and our answers and our manner of expressing ourselves. And at the end of the reading, he gives what I think could be taken as an anticipation of Pope Benedict's famous phrase in his address to the Roman Curia in 2005, when he started talking about the hermeneutic of continuity in saying that he has no desire, Newman himself has no desire to break into pieces the great legacy of thought thus committed to us for these latter days. See, we do what we do, we do in continuity with our past. Well, with those little points to listen for, let's hear now the second reading for the memorial of Blessed John Henry Newman, um, which will be uh, used uh, once uh, he is beatified, especially by the oratorians and then those who may one day have permission to use it. Um, This is from Newman's Apologia Pro Vita Sua. Escriptis Beati Ioannis Enrici Newman, Presbyteri. Ex illa die qua catholicus factus sum et de inceps, nihil plane sententiarum de religione narandum plus habeo, mentem autem nequaquam pigram reliqui neque a ratio cinationibus theologicis abstinui, Sed neve variationes in cogitatione neve solicitudines in corde... From the time that I became a Catholic, of course I have no further history of my religious opinions to narrate. In saying this, I do not mean to say that my mind has been idle or that I have given up thinking on theological subjects, but that I have had no variations to record and have had no anxiety of heart whatever. I have been in perfect peace and contentment. I never have had one doubt. I was not conscious to myself on my conversion of any change, intellectual or moral, wrought in my mind. I was not conscious of a firmer faith in the fundamental truths of revelation or of more self-command. I had not more fervor. But it was like coming into port after a rough sea, and my happiness on that score remains to this day without interruption. Nor had I any trouble about receiving those additional articles which are not found in the Anglican Creed. Some of them I believed already, but not any one of them was a trial to me. 
I made a profession of them upon my reception with the greatest ease, and I have the same ease in believing them now. I am far, of course, from denying that every article of the Christian creed, whether as held by Catholics or by Protestants, is beset with intellectual difficulties. And it is simple fact that, for myself, I cannot answer those difficulties. Many persons are very sensitive of the difficulties of religion. I am as sensitive of them as anyone, but I have never been able to see a connection between apprehending those difficulties, however keenly, and multiplying them to any extent, and, on the other hand, doubting the doctrines to which they are attached. Ten thousand difficulties do not make one doubt as I understand the subject. Difficulty and doubt are incommensurate. There, of course, may be difficulties in the evidence, but I am speaking of difficulties intrinsic to the doctrines themselves or to their relations with each other. A man may be annoyed that he cannot work out a mathematical problem of which the answer is or is not given to him without doubting that it admits of an answer, or that a certain particular answer is the true one. Of all points of faith, the being of a god is, to my own apprehension, encompassed with most difficulty, and yet borne in upon our minds with most power. People say that the doctrine of transubstantiation is difficult to believe. I did not believe the doctrine till I was a Catholic. I had no difficulty in believing it as soon as I believed that the Catholic Roman Church was the oracle of God, and that she had declared this doctrine to be part of the original revelation. It is difficult, impossible to imagine, I grant, but how is it difficult to believe? I believe the whole revealed dogma as taught by the apostles, as committed by the apostles to the church, and as declared by the church to me. I receive it as it is infallibly interpreted by the authority to whom it is thus committed, and implicitly as it shall be, in like manner, further interpreted by that same authority till the end of time. I submit, moreover, to the universally received traditions of the Church, in which lie the matter of those new dogmatic definitions which are from time to time made, and which in all times are the clothing and the illustration of the Catholic dogma as already defined. And I submit myself to those other decisions of the Holy See, theological or not, through the organs which it has itself appointed, which, waiving the question of their infallibility on the lowest ground, come to me with a claim to be accepted and obeyed. Also, I consider that, gradually and in the course of ages, Catholic inquiry has taken certain definite shapes and has thrown itself into the form of a science, with a method and a phraseology of its own, under the intellectual handling 
of great minds such as St. Athanasius, St. Augustine, and St. Thomas, and I feel no temptation at all to break in pieces the great legacy of thought thus committed to us for these latter days. Quibus saltem, parere atque obtemperare debeo, me submito. Existimanda est porro ut opinor, Catholice fide investigatio paulatim per secula species certas et varias absubsisse, informam sciencie se extruxisse, ratione et locutione sibi propriis adoptissimis, sicut Athanasio, Augustino, atque Toma de Aquino evolutis, se ornasse, neque talem hereditatem, intellectualem nobisis posterioribus diebus, legatam ulo modo dirumpere velem. With that, I think I'll wrap this up. Uh, please come and visit the blog, wdtprs.com, whiskey, delta, tango, papa, romeo, sierra.com. What does the prayer really say? You can also just Google Father Z or go to fatherzonline.com. There are all sorts of ways to get to the blog. And uh, when you do so, participate in the discussions there. Perhaps leave a donation, which will always be welcome. But I ask you especially to please pray for me as I will for you.